Hi, Tom. Welcome to uh, day number four. Oh, no, hang on. The official thing yet. How about now? Uh, it sounds pretty good. Perfect. <laughs> okay, now to the official thing. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to day number four of Slip Angle coverage of One Lap of America. I'm with uh, points leader Tom O'Gorman, and it sounds like you're driving through a rainstorm. We are, everybody's in a rainstorm. I'm surprised you haven't talked to somebody else in a rainstorm yet. Well, you're the uh, first person I've called tonight. Oh, okay. Well, everybody else is going to be in a rainstorm too, man. It is it is uh, rough down here in the south right now. Um, you know, from, from your recollection, I mean, obviously you kind of have to, you have to get where you're going by tomorrow. Is this maybe one of the more challenging um, road drives that you can remember? Well, it shouldn't have been, um, but it, I mean, it's just the weather that came through. Um, we had tornado warnings around us a little while ago. Um, we're just past Montgomery, Alabama, closing in on the Georgia border. Um, a number of teams also went up to Birmingham to try to avoid some of the storms, but uh, that added a little bit of time to their routes too. So I don't know that anybody won on this uh, <laughs> on this transit for sure, but it's actually not really meant to be one of the tough ones. It's about the same as all, everything else we've had this week. Um, the transits to and from Summit Point are going to be the, the quote-unquote long ones, the tough ones. Yeah, that's so, uh, that's Summit Point to Gingerman, right? Yeah, and then even AMP to Summit because there's really no good way to get around in the south, <laughs> into the Carolinas and Alabama and Georgia. So the routes from AMP to Summit are both equally not great uh, oh, yeah. so those are those are both going to be long too um, i mean we're talking like nine and a half hours instead of eight hours so it's, yeah. it's not the end of the world so uh your your points leader um up a hundred which is a lot of positions right now um as you widen the lead how does the strategy change yeah um honestly i don't know that we have any change in the strategy other than just continue to be consistent um my, my thought process has never been that we're leading or winning so much as that we're still in the hunt and still, you know, in it for the week. So the goal is to not put ourselves out with any uh, funny business. And, yeah, we've been able to be the most consistent car throughout all the events. I think we're the only car to have won a segment every day for the first four days. So if we can kind of keep that trend up. We've definitely separated ourselves in the top three from the rest of the pack. So it's kind of the three-horse race unless all of us really struggle. So that would be us, uh, Super K, and the Shaky Dog Corvette, which both of those cars have had mechanical issues here and there. We've been flawless, knock on wood. Steve knocks on wood as well. <laughs> so uh, I think that is also partially why we've been up a little bit. I know Super K had some issues off well, they had some super, both of them had issues at Eagles Canyon, minorly, um, and then they've had issues off uh, transits too. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that it stays on the racetrack and we can, you know, bring the thing home without anything hurting them too. Uh, I don't know how many uh, folks I'm going to get a chance to call tonight, so maybe I'll ask you to comment for some other folks as well. I noticed that the uh, one lap Mc uh, McLaren was a little bit off pace today. Was that just? Uh, like weather related during the session or did he have some mechanicals he was battling through? No, today was just really tough. Um, I mean, you've been to NOLA in the drying conditions and the tricky part about NOLA is it dries out really, really fast as far as the dampness goes, but the texture of the track is so pitted and, 
uh, I don't know, just it has this slight undulation everywhere. It's really bumpy and it collects puddles like crazy. And when we were here for grid life last year, we had experienced that. So uh, we kind of knew what we were getting into when we arrived this morning. We knew it had rained yesterday and the day before. So we were expecting puddling. We got to recon the lap uh, on the bike and recon the track. Everybody did. Uh, and all the puddles were in the expected places. You know, we, we kind of had a game plan going in. Um, I think some were able to kind of execute the plan either around or through the puddles uh, better than others. Um, and then what was really interesting is in the uh, later run groups, maybe in the, in the 50s and 60s, we had a big thunderstorm come through. We had to shut down for lightning a little bit, dumped water everywhere. Um, and then by the time group one came back up for us, it was quote unquote dry again, but the puddles had completely moved. It was almost like the track had shifted in the day. And now there were puddles in completely different places than there were before, but it was dry in other places where it had been puddles before. So we basically drove two completely different racetracks today where we had to get through different standing water and damp sections. Uh, and it was really, really interesting challenge. Um, I had a really good game plan going into the morning and uh, I was first overall over uh, Robert Thorne and Andy Spinnegard in the top three cars. And then this afternoon, I, I just didn't adapt to the puddles nearly as well. I actually slowed down in the afternoon. Andy picked up three seconds and he beat me. Uh, and then Thorne stayed third again. So uh, he was second and then third. So we kind of traded positions around. It kind of came out to kind of a wash of the day, but it was a really interesting competition on track. Yeah, so um, as, as you kind of look at scoring, uh, the gap to second now is 100 points, which is effectively uh, 20 positions on track, which is a yes. long, long way away. And so Adam and I were talking about, you know, strategy. And practically what we're thinking about is, you know, just making sure that you don't hit any curbs that could potentially damage a wheel or deflate a tire or uh, something that would result in a, you know, a slow or a, a DNF type of finish. Because other than that, it's really hard. Like if you're just running decently well, I think it would be hard to lose 20 positions on track. I mean, theoretically, yeah. And I, I think the biggest question marks right now are... We have an oval competition at Linear Speedway tomorrow afternoon that's scheduled uh, to be canceled if it's raining, which the likelihood of it raining tomorrow in Atlanta is kind of 50-50 depending on the area. Um, we expect it to be wet at AMP. It's not supposed to rain until after late morning, uh, meaning it's not supposed to rain after late morning at Lanier. So we might end up having to do that oval kind of hoping we don't <laughs> but just because it's going to add an extra transit that's going to be a pain but um yeah after amp amp is the last track i haven't driven this car once we get to some point gingerman i've driven the car at both tracks i kind of know what i need to do unless you said manage the risks at those places tomorrow at amp in the wet managing risk is one thing but calculating what is a risk on a wet racetrack for the first time is really tough. So I might not realize that I'm taking a risk oh, and, sure. and end up, you know, in a spot where I don't want to be. So, so talk about That's your approach the ideal, to a situation the idea is to like not that. Do that. Uh, well, I have a lot of friends who instructed Atlanta Motorsports Park, luckily. So I've been on uh, the messenger with them all day, getting some recon information about where to be careful of and different amounts of rain. So I have kind of deluge information. I have wet information. I have damp information. And then if by some stroke of mother nature's, you know, bipolar nature down here that we get dry, I, I've already been there in the dry and I kind of know where to 
car. So gotcha. I'm hoping to just apply that tomorrow and see how it goes. So uh, it sounds like things have gone pretty well on track, but uh, I personally have plenty of stories about trailer failures on one lap. Have you been lucky mechanically on all of your transits as well? Yeah, we have had. Uh, well, we we just had we had a scare a little bit a little bit ago. Like I said, it, it started to really get nasty down here. We had tornado warnings, and we ended up pulling off the highway. And some tree branches were getting blown around. We actually saw a tree on the opposite side of the highway blown across the highway with traffic backed up like four miles. Um, so we, when we pulled off, we got some gas. We were trying to eat, but all the power was out, so the restaurants were closed. And as soon as we got back on the highway, we got a we got a notification on the dash that we were getting a flat tire. So we started to, you know, frantically start to pull up, like, okay, where can we pull off to get this tire fixed? And we realized that the air pressure on that tire had gone back up a pound, and it was that we were running so cold uh, and sat long enough that the pressures dropped below the, the TPMS. Interesting. Warning, and now we're fine. So we had a scare, but that's absolutely no big deal. Um, we still have had some. Uh, today the car was upshifting on track by itself again on the third lap. Uh-huh. So I'm just trying to manage that basically by letting it do it when it's going to start doing it. Gotcha. And then uh, we also had some notifications on the dash about some brake fluid warnings um, and a Stabilitrack warning, which I guess is Chevy's code for any sort of like emissions driveline stability systems. Um, so in diagnosing those, we found that the brake fluid was just down, and we think that's just based on pad wear. And then the Stabilitrack stuff, according to a GM engineer that Steve is friends with, that's just down to us using that low lead fuel from the airport the other day, okay. two days ago. And uh, that has since gone away and not shown its head again. So we keep having these little warnings that are keeping us on our toes and everything. We're like, (laughs) this is the thing. This is the thing. And then it's not the thing. So, yeah, good luck so far. Yeah, well, uh, I think that sounds fantastic. Um, Tell me more about Lanier, because that's not a track that I'm familiar with. Um, What are you what are you learning about oval track racing? (laughs) My favorite thing about Lanier Speedway is that James Houghton says, Lanier Speedway because he's Canadian and they're fancier than us. They are fancier. And it's and it's in iRacing. So uh, I don't know. We, we looked it up today. It's a 0.375 mile uh, oval. It's across the street from Road Atlanta. It's where the go-kart rental track is usually in the infield there. Um, but it's 11 degrees of banking. So it's not nothing on banking, but it's not super steep. And my understanding of the format is they basically put two cars in the bowl halfway across the track from each other and tell us to go. We do three laps and then leave. So it's it's almost like a glorified skid pad in my mind, and it's just kind of get through it as you know on the limit as you can. Right. We only do it if it's dry, so it's just kind of like maximizing the dry grip of the car. At this point, I think the only car that's really at an advantage in that kind of circumstance would probably be Super K, just based on it being on Yokohama's and probably at a speed where the arrow is going to help a bit. I think yeah. all the rest of us are in kind of bigger, heavier cars at this point. So. Yeah, Adam and I have been talking about the setup of Super K and what it is. And yeah. there there isn't a car in the field more ill-equipped to do one lap of America than that car. Like, <laughs> Yeah, off track for sure. It's it's properly a, you know, a clapped out time attack car. And, uh, well, it's it's doing pretty well. I'm very impressed. I'm telling Andy and Alex you called it clapped out. I mean, it is what it is. It was full of, uh, what, bird feed today or something. 
Yeah, it was perfect. They took us through a, a checkpoint at Tommy's Express Car Watch, which thank you, Tommy's Express, for hosting us. But they gave us uh, the opportunity to wash and vacuum our cars. So now the car is perfectly clean. No, that's awesome. Their uh, car is. But yeah, I think, um, I mean, honestly, I, like, I mean, you and I have driven a more time attack style car on a track. And it's amazing when you put a car on good tires with some good aero and some lighter weight, especially even, you know, they're running at a low power tune for that car. About 420 horse is what they're saying. Um, and it's amazing how fast a car like that can go. Um, but in general, I totally agree with you for this event, they're doing, uh, you know, as much as the rest of us at times more than the rest of us with a heck of a lot less. And they're certainly way less comfortable than we are. I actually donated my, uh, my travel, uh, neck pillow to Andy today because he was saying <laughs> how rough it is riding in that you're, car. You're so. such a gentleman. I think they said yeah. that they have, um, you know, they have two heater positions. One is hot and one is really hot. Uh, so that, that's... Yeah. Well, I learned what that means. That means they either plug the heater so that it doesn't blow in the car or they open the heater so it does blow in the car. But they did just say it's now uh, the dash on the Corvette says 64 degrees. So they said it's cool enough that they can open the heater plug in the cockpit and get some reasonable air and airflow. So Man. with the windows up, so they're not getting soaked. Well, I'm I'm gonna I, I can't talk to them because uh, they're that car is so unbelievably loud. But I wonder how uh, like defrost is working because driving in the rain at night seems like a foggy windshield would be a problem. I hope that that part is doing okay. Yeah, they said they pulled over and unclo- uh, unblocked the blower so that they wouldn't fog, and now we're finding that it's also comfortable to cruise with it blowing on that too. So no, it's not too bad. hopefully the miserable transit turns into a livable one, kind of, for them. But for the rest of us, we're hydroplaning down the highway trying to make the, make it to Atlanta in one piece. Yeah. So uh, I, when I watched just a little bit of the on-track coverage today, it seemed like... Um, Super K, especially coming around that like those last few corners at NOLA, uh, corner speeds were really, really good compared to the, uh, the Corvette that you're driving. Uh, the big difference, though, is hundreds of more horsepower on the straights. And, uh, yeah. you know, at, at 420 wheel horse, I think is what their setup is ish. Um, you know, I know that they're trying to make it through the event. Uh, but also, if you're trying to close the gap even a little, you're going to need, I think, some more horsepower. Yeah, and I think, uh, I guess it's pretty easy to look at the overhead of NOLA and see the front straight especially and go, man, that's got to be a power track. But if I think back to when we were there with Gridlife in, in November, if you remember how freaking fast Eric Cotillo's car was there relative yeah. to most of the cars at the event. I mean, it was pretty much like a top five overall car at Time Attack, including... You know, I mean, it's basically, it's, I think it's like Jackie Ding and one other Corvette were faster, and then it was Eric's car because it was so fast in the S's of the final corners. Um, so, I I think what happened in the afternoon is the I mentioned the puddles migrating. Uh, the, one of the big puddle spots was now in the middle of the S's, um, and I I had to slow down a lot in the middle of the S's to get the car feeling more comfortable through that section. And everybody that was watching was like, man, the S2000 just looks so fast in there. So I think the, the big change for why I slowed down and Andy sped up, well, other than they fixed their splitter. Making a grip they were, and they found the splitter had flipped, so they fixed it, and then also the car was better. So they did that, and then that puddle moving into a really not great location for where I was hoping to carry more speed. I think they probably were able to make a little action just being 
it wasn't actually puddles, it was just dampness, and then having that arrow working better. Yeah, like you said, those last couple quarters were a little brutal in this car. <laughs> Well, uh, I wish you guys a, a very safe transit. I'm sure you've got several more hours to go because uh, this is slow moving for a little while. But uh, get some rest, and uh, we'll. I'm going to try and talk to people tomorrow, but hopefully it'll be around lunchtime because I'm going to go to Taco Track Day. Uh, but I can't break the podcast streak, so I'm going to take all my gear and try and make calls from the track. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, we got two hours and 15 to go, and I think we're still on the forefront of most of the cars. So. If you want, I'm sure you can call people. Yep. All right. Uh, well, I will talk to you soon. You guys drive safe. Thanks. Thanks, Abe. Talk to you later. Bye. Welcome back to the Slip Angle Podcast. It's day four of One Lap of America, and uh, Abe is here with Robert Thorne and Chris Lewis of Shaky Dog Racing. Um, how's it going, guys? been a pretty good day uh everything has been really solid and awesome sessions on track the corvette's been holding up really well our only struggles now is this uh transit tonight so uh i I just got off the phone with tom and he was talking about how serious the weather had been for them Uh, did you try and head north to birmingham to try and miss some of it or did you just take the southern route pretty much the southern route um so it's been a little sketchy we're definitely what seemed like pretty much in the middle of a tornado at some point with uh you know trees flying around and debris all over the road uh no my favorite driving conditions for a corvette but at this point i think we're in the clear and we're doing all right so uh at this point are you ahead of it or behind it uh we're just behind the uh, main front right now. Okay. So we kind of drove through the thick of it, and then as it turned the corner, we kind of tucked in behind it, and we're actually just trying to not go too quick to not catch back up to the the lead edge of the front. That makes that makes sense. But it's wet driving all the way to LA, all the way to to Georgia. Yeah, we're about uh, about an hour out right now. You guys are making good time. Tom said he was, I think, about two and a half hours away. Yeah, we've been making pretty good time. We we got on the road uh, as quick as we could. So uh, I really enjoyed your most recent recap video yesterday from from Eagles Canyon. Um, are you are you expecting that you're gonna be able to keep this up? Uh, I'm definitely trying. Um, I did feel that Eagles Canyon's video came out really well and kind of captured everything. Yeah, you know, I could have hoped for it from that day. Uh, I can't say that every day is going to be to that same quality, and and maybe it's going to be more of an every other day. Uh, I am currently working on today's video. I probably got an hour left to it, and uh, I have to say it, it's pretty good. But you know, perhaps it doesn't have the depths of yesterday's video. Gotcha. Well, uh, tell me about what happened on track today. I know that there were changing conditions for almost everybody. What was your what was your day like? Well, um, for sure, uh, you know, we ended up in a pretty good position being the first car in the second group as it was drying conditions for both sessions. And I guess it, it was dry, but there were puddles. And, you know, it only takes a few cars to run at speed to those puddles to really clear them out and make them just wet patches. 
Right. So by the time I got to go out both sessions, those puddles were just patches of, of you know, just wet patches. Uh, so I felt I maybe did have a little bit of an advantage. And um, it was uh, nice to finally get some time in this car on track with some clear air and get a feel for how uh, it reacts, especially in higher speed corners. So um, I felt that I improved on my se second session, you know, compared to my first quite a bit. So maybe that that's a bit of the uh, difference in time for me to catch up to Tom like I did in the second session. So uh, you are the owner of the Big Bad Wolf, which is a very cool time attack uh, autocross style prep uh, S2000. But uh, that car and probably this Corvette aren't, aren't so completely different. What are the, how do you compare and contrast the difference between those two cars? Well, uh, you know, the S2000 has a very light feel to it. You know, when you put it into a corner, it's not going to slide. It's not going to dance around. It has, you know, downforce per pound on that car is so much higher than this car that, you know, you're just feeding it carefully into the corners and flowing speed the corvette is it's a lot more manhandling sure i mean you'll see the video and it'll look exciting from the driver's seat there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's sawing at the wheel there's pedal work and you know I, I feel like i really have to drag it out of it um you know on on time perhaps they're not that different but um the S2000 is a little quicker in a straight line. And comparing my times in this car today to when I had the S2000 here for one lap a couple of years ago, uh, I believe I was still uh, two to three seconds quicker in the S2000. Really? I have to imagine, though, that the reward on transit for driving the Corvette is, uh, is maybe a sacrifice that you're willing to make. Uh, because if I recall, the S2000 range... Uh, on the fuel tank was like 75 miles. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were stretching it up to 75 toward the end, and that was doing 75 miles an hour, which was really as fast as we were comfortable driving it with it revving that high. Um, with that sequential gearbox that it had, its sixth gear was one-to-one, -one, so it did not even have you know the top speed of, say, a stock S2000 at that time. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that you had a one-to-one -one, uh, sequential. That's uh, accelerates very fast, but uh, it gets to the top quickly. Yeah, yeah, that that was that car that it was, you know, every track we were 150 mile an hour somewhere on it and on the limiter. That's amazing. So um, somewhere on uh, maybe my Instagram, but uh, certainly in my memory, you, uh, when you took the S2000, had this harebrained idea that you were going to hook up air conditioning uh, into the S2. Yes. And you did so by uh, connecting a wall air conditioner to a gasoline-powered generator and uh, tried to run, like, the exhaust of the AC out the back of the trunk. Did that actually work at all? Um, unfortunately... So the air conditioner felt like it was producing cool air, but it was in the trunk and we didn't have it ducted to the front and all of the airflow through the cabin, if we didn't have it perfectly sealed up, 
the air never was made running it to, to the back of the the car. Yeah. So, uh, you know, after our third transit of not being able to get any air up front, and we also had a bit of an exhaust leak, obviously that started with the header cracking. So we had to keep windows cracked down to keep the carbon monoxide levels down. So it, it is kind of just a lost cause, but the system did work. Uh, I had great uh, ducting in the trunk from when I ran the trans cooler uh, for grid life uh, when we were running time attack. So the air conditioner had decent ducting and then we had that generator on the trailer with an extension cord running into the car. It was a little, it was a little ghetto, but, um, and unfortunately I think it ended up left, the whole system left in Colorado when we went to High Plains that year. Gotcha. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about that S2000 right now. And uh, since you uh, most recently brought that car to a time attack, there've been a number of rule changes that I think would place that car more properly in the track mod group. Uh, you'd still be, um, you know, competing with former times from someone like Ferris with the twin turbo Corvette. But uh, I imagine that car would be nicely placed in track mod versus where it was in unlimited before. Yeah, I think you're right uh, with some of the changes, um, which which would be great. You know, me and Ferris were relatively competitive. Um, I believe uh, swapping positions on the two festivals that we did that year. So, um, yeah, that'd be a great time. So, uh, what it, what is the status of that car? Is it like fully operational, or is it in a state of disassembly? Uh, it's operational and we recently took it to an autocross just to use the car. Um, but that just reminded me of all of the things I want to do to improve it before I really take it back out again. So I've got a list sitting there and hopefully when I get some free time, uh, I'll be able to tackle it. So, uh, I want to inquire because, uh, for a period of time, you guys, uh, you and your wife lived on the East coast and now you're, now you're in Oklahoma. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yep, Oklahoma City. Do you do you get to work on race cars the majority of your time, or did you? Is it really just kind of like a when when you have a moment free? Uh, it is still technically a hobby, so I still have my my day job, but you know, five p.m. to ten p.m. seven days a week. Yeah, yep, it's <laughs> a little more of an obsession than a hobby, but. I definitely get a lot of time to work on cars. And uh, you and Chris do a whole lot of endurance racing in, in Miatas. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, we uh, we share that shop that we've been building for the past year now in Oklahoma. So, um, you know, his three Miatas are there. The uh, grid life, um, the Miata we took to grid life for drifting, plus the two LFX swap Miatas that we built over the winter. Okay. And the S thousands held held there plus uh, the E thirty six. So, um, yep, we do a lot together. And uh, did did I see right that you're try, you're attempting to sell the E thirty six race car? Is that, or was that someone else's car? No, I do have a uh, second E thirty six race car that is currently up for sale. Gotcha. Well, if yep. anyone's in the market for an E thirty six race car, you probably probably reach out to Robert. Yep, it is a NASA GTS two car and uh, pretty well sorted. Awesome. Um, well, uh, as you make your way to AMP, what what kind of uh, strategy do you have in place? I think right now you're sitting in third position, ten points down from Super K. Is that right? I think that's correct. I can't. I might be fifteen. Um, 
but yeah, third place. And, you know, tomorrow it's going to be more of the same, uh, push as hard as I can, as long as I can. And hope we can keep this thing in the top three each session. And I think that's really what we need to do at this point. And, you know, see how the week it's a long week still. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, as you, uh, make your way north. Uh, do you have an idea for who will be driving at what track? Uh, I believe I will be driving tomorrow, and that is all we've decided so far. Gotcha. Well, um, I'm sure you guys will will do great. Uh, is you, did you say that the video is done already? Uh, I'm currently putting together the intro clips, and then it has to be produced and uploaded. So I would expect around two hours still. Gotcha. Well, um, I wish you the best of luck tomorrow, and I hope that the weather is dry for you. Uh, but with the rainstorm that you in, I imagine that's that's kind of a dice roll. Yep, yep, yeah, I'm I'm sure. So, well, we'll see. All right, well, uh, drive safe, and we'll probably uh, I'm going to try and give people a call during the lunch hour tomorrow because I'm going to be at the track. Adam and I will be there doing a track day stuff. So. Um, I, I don't want to break the streak of daily releases because you're not breaking the streak either. So <laughs> I'll see. I'll, I'll keep it up for sure. All right. Talk to you later, buddy. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody. Uh, I've got Brandon Ranvec on the line and, uh, they're in the middle of a rainy transit. Hey, Brandon. Hey, how's it going, Abe? Not too bad. Uh, it is, it's actually not rainy right now. I'll try for the past couple hours. Um, Mr. Spedigard made the call of, you know, thinking that the northern route might work better. And uh, it, it got dicey, I think, both directions. The route through Birmingham uh, is the one we chose, and I think some others went down the southern route through Montgomery, and uh, that got really dicey, I guess. Trees down across uh, lanes and shutting down power. But we're commuting in dry weather right now. It's it's nice. So Smooth sailing. Uh, who drove today? Micaiah drove today. And um, Did you catch those times? Uh, I I'm trying to look them up right now. My phone is is missing in action. What, uh, Micaiah? Tell me how you did today. Um, let's see. So we were at New Orleans Motorsport Parkway, and car car felt decent yesterday. So today we kind of gave it a shot. Put the 85 in it. Turned the power up and let it rip. We ended up placing fifth overall in the morning um, and then sixth overall in the afternoon session. So kind of kind of closed that gap up a little bit that we had when the car was not quite uh, not quite up to par. Uh, felt really good. I, I think I definitely left some time out there in the track. But uh, overall really happy to be back in kind of kind of the top 10 and, and kind of fighting for it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, did uh, did the all-wheel drive system feel uh, perfect today? Yeah, it felt really flawless. Um, I, I left the tuning on the controller kind of on the, I would say, conservative side just so that we don't burn up another pump. But overall, very balanced. It, it probably could be Obviously, the car is. We're probably not going to catch anyone 
up here with weather or track situations. So our job right now is to try to be consistently quick and make it to the finish. So um, yeah, it's been a uh, a hyper competitive year. Um, the, the the cars in the even the top 10 all of them some of them I guess were a surprise I, I didn't expect Solomon and and I guess Billy Johnson to be uh, right there uh, but they most definitely are yeah, and, hats, hats up. Uh, well I mean I guess I just kind of expected yeah, that good. car to that's be so heavy surprise. that I just didn't see it as being a top contender but I'm I'm surprised yeah, so, it, interesting fun fact at Eagles Canyon, the as the cars are blistering by and the, the Mustang, the GT500s are roaring past, it, all of a sudden you get this huge waft of like brakes on fire smell as it's going by. That's the only car that you could smell the brakes on as it's going by. And of course, it's I think it's got the, the largest factory brake package ever produced. So it's a heavy car and, and they're muscling it around the course for sure. It's uh, it's so funny how much engineering has to be done to deal with all the weight that it's carrying around, right? So you wouldn't need the largest brake package ever if you just made the car lighter. <laughs> You're right, exactly. But why do they have to make it so heavy? I, I have no idea. Um, I just want to stick with two, my... There's two GT500s here, right? Yes, there are two. So the 5.2 Motorsports crew and then Solomon's, yeah. and both of them are doing well, so... Apparently, it's a very track-capable car. There's a, there's one that runs in grid life, too, right? The blue one? Uh, I, I think there's a GT350 that runs. And we did okay. have, I think, at the uh, NCM event, we had a new driver uh, run a GT500, I think. But uh, I think yeah, he was... I'm- I think he was the fastest driver of the event, but only ran a lap or two because of sound uh, problems. I think he ran yeah, like I one think... hot lap per day. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he do like a 206 or something? Yeah, crazy? I think that's right. That's pretty impressive. So it really is. A very track-capable machine. And that's a shocker because they weigh in, I believe, over 4,000 pounds. It's so heavy. Which, yeah, in our world, that's mind-numbingly heavy. So uh, I want to interject with a tangent, Brandon, and I guess this would certainly apply to you as well, Micaiah. Uh, you know that Adam and I run a website called Tracktuned, and uh, we've decided that we don't want the website to be um, to exist like for for entertainment type inter- information. We don't want like daily posts of just like tripe. Uh, what we would rather have are um, resources and like useful articles that people can refer to at a later date. And one of the things that we talked about that we've gotten a lot of buy-in from already is we're going to build a data warehouse on the website where people can download um, driver data from the tracks that we go to uh, with Gridlife and, and other functions uh, as a resource for like you know, going to the track and and knowing what it looks like to drive fast on the data. And uh, I was going to ask you if you might provide some data from Twitch uh, from the events that you've gone to recently, because that car in street class prep, I think, is a model for what a driver and a car can do if they're working really well together. 
Uh, you get a, you get me started on Twitch, and I won't be able to stop talking. I love that car so much. I 100% agree. It is a great street class car. Uh, that's what we built it for, and I'd be happy to uh, provide the the data, video data, um, track data, any aim data that you want. You can have it. Uh, so I, I think what the plan is is that I'm just going to have a spot on the website where uh, it'll be basically sorted by sorted by platform, whether it be Apex Pro or AIM, and then it'll be sorted by track, and then it'll just be, you know, names and then car preparation and lap time. And you'll just that's, click click a really link fun. and download a data file, whatever it is, and, and use it to go faster. So It's a really good idea, and it's kind of why I love this, this grassroots level, because people are so willing to get their information out there, show their data, uh, and uh, you're helping provide that uh, that platform, man. It's just the best. Whoa. Well, a part of what got me thinking about it was looking at uh, your lap versus Josh Halka's, uh, the data that you provided to me, and seeing how different they were, uh, even though they're in the same class and they're both very competitive. Um, the way that the cars made speed was so completely different that I thought it was enlightening someone might want to be able to say, well, that car is kind of like mine. I want to grab the data from there. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, each of them can run a fast lap. They, you know, Josh has got a little bit more power, so he kind of makes up for it on the, the straights, but it's still a Subaru and it's an all-wheel drive car, which I'm familiar with that platform, sitting in one right now. And they don't go around a big sweeper as nice as a rear drive. I mean, it's just, you can make them do it, but maybe not as easily and maybe not as consistently. Gotcha. So, uh, talking about all wheel drive cars, um, I assume that you're going to bring the Evo out to King of the Mountain this year, but what other events might you take that car on this year? Uh, yeah. So what I did in preparation for King of the Mountain last season is I just did some local auto crossing just to kind of, you know, get, get familiar with the chassis again, get comfortable because, you know, you're not going to be competitive unless you're getting some seat time. It's all about seat time. So that's all prep. I'll just do some local autocrosses, a DCTC event. That's a local track right next to my house, conveniently about five minutes down the road and, uh, do some lapping days, smaller road course stuff. Um, the, I really wish I could bring that car up to the big tracks, but I know that with the G's that it's, it's, capable of and not having a dry sump it's only a matter of time before i pop that engine so oil serving issues in the evo is not great i would love to bring it out to a good life event again but it's that's where twitch is now much more capable on uh, just lap after lap reliability well and i being honest i would say that you know by a factor of a hundred you're having more fun when you're driving twitch well, you know, if you're turning laps and you're you're consistently just putting fuel in, checking pressures, you know, and going on track, I, I don't know if you could be a, a happier race car driver. Um, if you're encountering a lot of problems, sure, you might be able to figure it out, solve it, and you feel good about that. But at the same time, there can be big headaches there and sometimes catastrophic headaches where you're not able to get back on track and, and then you're really not enjoying the seat time that you paid for 
or the time that you travel to get seat time. It, it, it turns into a nightmare quickly. Well, uh, one of the things that Adam and I were talking about was on the trip to Barber. I don't remember my corner numbers very well. I think it's, I think it's maybe 14 or 15. You, uh, you go up over the hill, and then you drop back down. And then there's this long right-hander kind of at a high-speed spot. Um, yeah. I, I remember in the Civic that I uh, just basically hung the RPM at like 8,000 RPM going through that corner um, and mechanically was not worried at all about whether or not it would survive. And that is satisfying, right? Like, because you're paying for the seat yes. time and you're paying for the time to drive, to go to a track to work on a car is not a very smart thing to do. Yeah, especially if you've traveled halfway across the country, you know, like a 15-hour drive from, from Minnesota to Barber is, is nothing to bat an eye at. So if, if I'm parked on the side because I've got a problem, that's not that's not going to make anybody happy. Well, uh, if, if you recall, the first session out, uh, I went out and I had bought uh, the 245 wide RT660s. Yes, and people had told me that 255 would fit no problem. And we go out on the 245 and the rear is rubbing so badly that, like, I thought we were going to destroy a tire. Um and I came back in and I was like, well, I, I was talking to you and I was talking to Ronnie and I was like, well, we're already here. I, I want right. the track time. What, what's the solution to this problem? And Ronnie got off the angle grinder and we went to work. Um, yep. And yeah. like, I, mean, I that's think, the thing. I think some people would cringe at that, but it's like, well, no, I'm here. I'm not going to just like go home. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll have to admit, I mean, you've got a really beautiful Mugen Civic and you start taking an angle grinder to it, I think any car person will cringe a little bit, but at the same time if, if you're there for a track event we can completely understand and get behind you yeah, Abe, cut it, go <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, Ronnie did all of the, the cutting, so I appreciated you, you him for being a build your head, didn't you? no, I you mean to look away. you know what, it's, it's a car and um, that one isn't pristine and it never will be. I mean, it's got some dents and dings and it's got plenty of miles on it. Now it's, it's a car for driving and I went yeah. there to drive and I'm not afraid to cut up fenders either. Yeah. And, uh, what, what I want to talk with you about just a little bit is the, um, the front splitter that you have on Twitch. Um, oh, yeah. I looked sure. at this setup when we were at NCM together. Uh, how did you, how did you come about such a part? What is it? What's the story behind it? And how did you know that that's what you wanted? Well, I've been trying to, I guess I, I made up my mind that I wanted Twitch to be competitive this season in street class. And I know that the car is underpowered for the class. So I got to make up, you know, for it in other places. And it's, it's, it's tough saying underpowered, especially when I've got an E46 S54 engine in the lighter E36 chassis. You know, that in itself should be really potent. But there's some really fast street, street cars or street class cars. And uh, I need to make up for every bit of momentum, corner speed that I can. And so I'm going to exploit as far as possible the rule set that's in place. And that involves any factory arrow allowed. And... 
fortunately for me, BMW has an LTW version, which comes with some trick LTW parts. LTW stands for BMW Lightweight, and it was a kind of a more limited track-focused production E36, and it comes with this really awesome front splitter that's adjustable. The BMW engineers have it uh, secured very firmly by four separate mounts, three separate mounts, four positions into the front bumper, which is tied into the frame rails, of course. So it, it is firmly rigid and then it's adjustable. It can move forward and backward like five inches. So it's it's crazy. It's, a, it's an awesome piece. And fortunately for me, they still have some available. They're, they're not readily available. So you kind of had to pay a little bit of a pretty price for it. But again, determined to make Twitch super competitive this, this year. I, I want to make a good run at the street class championship. Well, it's, it's so amazing how much the series has evolved in the years um, that you and I were driving previously. If, uh, if I remember right, you were the track mod champion in 16 and I was the street mod champion in 16 and both, uh, both times that, that we, no, that's, it's ancient history because cars in street mod now are running, uh, seconds faster than you were running in track mod back then. Yeah, yeah, and a lot has happened then, and uh, there's some very good, talented guys in the class right now, and it's amazing the progression. The arrow, the, we were talking about that today, the arrow progression has been insane. It's amazing to watch the development and all of the guys utilizing that as an asset. Well, uh, I'm, I know that Adam and I were aware of how open the rule book was, uh, but starting now to see people really really put their thinking caps on and figure out what the rules allow. Uh, you know, when you start to see some of these wild builds, you're like, okay, well, this is getting closer to like what, what the limit really is. <laughs> Cause I think, yeah. I think track mod has always just been unlimited basically, uh, on a, uh, you know, a, a 60 or 100 treadwear tire. And, only recently have we started to see cars that are built like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, again, the, the progression has been wild. Uh, I'm glad that Grid Life does such a nice job with kind of tracking some of the things too. And like you asking and talking about what I'm doing with Twitch, just to put it out there. I mean, it's, it's nice to know that you guys are kind of looking and enforcing them also. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I think Twitch is a really, really awesome car. And uh, Adam and I talk a lot on our show about people getting on track. And in general, I mean, you and I have been doing this for a little while now, but in general, there is this attitude that, oh, I can't go to the track yet because I don't have these coilovers or I don't have this big brake kit or I, I want to get my turbo kit done or, 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 or it's always, there's always something. Um, but I remember Moss said a while back that the best track car that you can get is the one that you can afford to do 20 track days a year. Um, and having a very fast, very powerful, very capable track car is neat um, but not at the expense of being able to turn laps. 100%. I agree with that. Uh, I, I, you're right. Too many people will 
handicap themselves by saying it's not ready. I still need to do X, Y, and Z. Well, it, it, it pays off to drive a car that's not fully prepped and then add a piece and then drive it again. Add a piece, drive it again. And then you kind of get a, a feel for what your change actually did to the car. You can gauge whether or not it helped or whether or not it hurt. And, yeah. you know, sometimes aftermarket parts don't always make the performance better. Aftermarket isn't always the best choice. True. So, I want to, yeah, people should get out there and drive their vehicles, even if they think they're not fully prepped. Well, I can, drive it. I can speak to my own experience. When I was at Barber, uh, I took uh, Brad from Tire Rack Finch with me, and we co-drove my car. And... My times this improved. Is the Civic. You're talking about the Civic right yep. now, right? Yep, the Civic. And uh, we both drove that car, and my times improved considerably over the weekend. Uh, and I was, at the end, driving what I thought to be decently quick, uh, only to find out that Finch was about still two seconds faster. And so I left that uh, event thinking, well, like, yeah, I can make changes and, and change the setup and, and put mods on my car or do whatever. Uh, but that doesn't close the gap on me to him. All it does is make us both faster. Right. right? And like, if I want to improve as a driver, I need to figure out how to drive differently to close the gap. And that's where some of these things, like being able to look at comparative data, I'm, I'm assuming you had like an aim or something that you guys, uh, we were using an apex pro and, uh, I mean, you, you can see it, it's, it's all right there. And I did a little bit of a, you know, a a post event analysis of it. And it's, uh, frustratingly, like if you look at it, it's just like, oh yeah, he's just like a mile or two, uh, an hour faster in every quarter. Yeah. Yeah. You can learn a lot about your own driving style by looking at somebody else. And, And it really helps you grow as a, as a driver. And that, that is the best mod that you can do. So I think some people maybe overspend on parts for their vehicle when a good quality data system and co-driving with somebody who's quick can be way more valuable. Yep. So uh, I think that you in Twitch use exclusively an AIM. Do you have a Smarty Cam setup as well, or do you just use the, the Solo? I have the Smarty Cam. Now, do you find having the video is is crucial to how you review data after a session i'm i I don't know i'm visual i i you know i store you know listening to tomo on some of the podcast stuff that you've done i traditionally not had the data because i come from an autocross background and it's not as big or as popular so i'm just very focused on kind of getting a mental image of what i did and kind of going through it and then talking about sectors with you know, somebody who's done the course also, um, it's kind of mentally thinking about where I could go faster. But for me, having the time with the video, that really helps my brain kind of go, oh yeah, that's what I did. That's where I went. That's what I felt uh, when the car was slipping or pushing. So yeah, I like having the video to review the, the logs. Um, and then I guess maybe my final question before we wrap up is as it relates to data, are you using any data this week? And if you are, um, what bit of data is most useful? Are you looking at speed distance traces or something else? We have the, uh, an aim solo with the smarty cam and, um, because of the uniqueness of the event where, you know, we're not worried, we aren't always doing the same course. It may not be applicable. 
but where the morning session and the afternoon session are the same, that's valuable. We can pull the data, look at the, uh, the video logs, and just kind of see the, the corner speeds, see what the car was doing, uh, see where we might be able to, you know, brake sooner and get on throttle earlier, adjust the driving line. Um, so yeah, that I love the Smarty Cam. Just the fact that it turns on when you go on track, you don't have to push any buttons or anything. <laughs> it's nice, it's convenient. Right on. Um, well, I'm sure that you you might have a couple of hours of drive left, so uh, I wish you guys a safe trip. Two hours indeed. Uh, who's driving an AMP tomorrow? I am. I'll be driving AMP, so we're going to probably, I'm driving right now, so we're going to switch drivers so I can do a little bit more studying and uh, get that track configuration burned in my brain. I haven't been, not been there before, so. Um, uh, I've not like driven there style. either, but I've heard it's a lot of fun. It looks like a really fun course. Got some elevation change. The curbings all look nice and friendly. So I'm I'm excited about driving tomorrow. Well, good luck tomorrow, and uh, I'll I'll hopefully I'm going to try and give people a call during the lunch break because Adam and I are doing the Taco Track Day at Gingerman tomorrow. Um, but I can't break my podcast streak, so I've got to take all my gear with me. Dude, you are a warrior. I cannot believe that you've been keeping up on this. I appreciate it so much. Um, you're kicking butt too. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. Talk soon. Drive safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at a grid live to say hello. Hello.